So that was the change that I made. And then I, I started to put way more effort into the content because before I was just like smashing these things out. Uh, more effort into thumbnails, titles, planning, storytelling, creativity. And I went from doing three videos a week easily to two a month, you know, and that was taking up pretty much all my life just getting those two out because the effort I put in. Hi everyone, Philip here. Today we're talking nomadic lifestyle, massive YouTube channels, and experience getting people to click. I'm talking with Ed Lawrence from Filmbooth. If you want to know how Ed solved YouTube, how he works less and makes more, and does whatever the hell he wants, keep on listening. Enjoy. I want to start with a quote of yours uh, that is the best thing that I found. You said that making YouTube videos is a constant stress with five minutes of ecstasy. <laughs> I wonder if you still look at it that way or something changed maybe. No, it's, that's, about, that's about right. It's a lot of work, um, but it's very addictive. Um, and YouTube have gamified the platform beautifully to make you care <laughs> and want to keep getting better. So... It's just money gamification, you mean, or some other? Well, the first things first is the silver play button was probably the smartest. You know, it, it's it's some people want that more than anything else in the world. I know people who are just absolutely obsessed. They're like, that is all I care about getting, and it it they just want to show off the award because it's a status. You know, there's not that many people who ever get a sil silver play button. So having one is a big deal. And there's only thirty thousand educational channels who have them out of the. 50 million channels that are on the platform so and then there's the gold and the other ones so you know giving people these awards was amazing and also every video you make gets ranked one to ten so they, they pitch them against your last 10 videos so if you get a five and you're like oh no you know and it makes you try harder next time um and then people live their life trying to beat their top 10 so yeah it's, it's a very well gamified platform in terms of inspiring the creators to keep going but it's also the same reason why a lot of people quit because it's it's quite a, a lot of uh, turmoil when you look and you're like, why is this video worse than the last 10? And, you know, that can live in your head rent-free for well, until the next release. Is the stress now less that you are, well, objectively successful uh, or or when the sort of money aspect of it or, or the livelihood aspect of it goes away or, or is it settled, the, the stress is less as well and you can enjoy yourself more? It never goes. <laughs> it's always there. <laughs> okay. It's it's. I think people think, oh, when I have ten thousand subscribers and have a hundred thousand, you know, I'll be happy. You're just not, and that's a really dangerous game. Uh, and one I'm trying to work out because at some point you can't win unless you're content. So if you're constantly mm -hmm. like when when your first video hits ten thousand views, which you will have spent years trying to do, you will want twenty thousand straight away. You don't go, oh wow, I did it. You go more, um, more. Yeah, which isn't great because how can you possibly win YouTube if you only ever want more and you never feel satisfied? So I have another channel which I've started recently, which is very niche. Mm -hmm. It's just helping YouTubers market. And I was like, in order to beat that, I'm just all I want is 10,000 views per video. If it goes above that, happy days. If it goes below, okay, that didn't work. But I've set it at an amount that I can pretty much always hit. And that is my goal, nothing more. For, for now, that's your goal for no, now, right? No, it's my goal now. I just don't care. And I've done it. I, I've, every video, I'm like, this just needs to hit 10,000 views. So I give it the effort that requires 
10,000 mm-hmm. 10, views. I don't spend forever coming up with thumbnails and titles for it. I'm like, I know if I do this to this level, I'll get 10,000 views. The people who watch it will appreciate it and they'll come back. But I'm not looking for explosive growth because you don't need more than 10,000 views per video to build a successful business or a product or a community at all, especially if you're niche, like very niche. So that's my goal. And that's lovely because I just release a video and I don't look for a week. And then I'm like, oh, what did it do? Oh, we've got 9,800 videos. We'll hit 10,000 in the next you know, few days. Happy days. Move on. Whereas my other channel, it's like, how many views can we squeeze out? And every, every decision you make, you're analyzing. Like, if I say this, that might put off that type of viewer. And that might mean the mm-hmm. attention gets hit. And that might mean the video doesn't do as well. So I think more people should take my new approach in that just be content with a number and then work out how to build a business around that number because you'll then be able to work less, stress less. And I think have a more enjoyable kind of like lifestyle out of it. That's something that I really want to dive deeper into. But first, I wanted to go backwards a little bit to the previous change that you have made. It was, I think, around 2021 when you said that you've been doing videos for a couple of years with little result and then something happened. You decided to change the way you do business on YouTube. And I wonder if you can give us a little bit of backstory into what the change was that within, I think, 14 videos made you explode. Yeah, so it was, traditionally everyone came to YouTube to make videos for search. So I started myself making YouTube videos because I wanted to build a following so that when I did outreach to get backlinks for SEO on our website, people might be more likely to backlink to me because I was a somebody, right? That was the idea. So I was like, oh, I'll just make loads of videos for search and I'll rank and I'll build this following. Um, And I did that, three videos a week for like 18 months, never missed one just plowed out all this search-based stuff. But I, was, I had like 8,000 subscribers and each video was getting like 90 views in a week. I was like, why are my subscribers not coming back? And it's because I was always just think making these super specific video titles about problems that you would only ever type in search. So when you release a video, YouTube pushes it on the homepage straight away. And these super specific problems, people would just be like, well, I'm not interested in that right now. It's too specific. It's not that exciting. So I was like, oh, how am I ever going to build a strong community if they never come back it's just about new people that doesn't work and you see this a lot channels of like a million subscribers and then they're getting like a thousand or two thousand views per video because they've probably targeted search for years and it's just been about new rather than return so i just stopped making i did the exact opposite of search so instead of making highly specific videos i made videos based on curiosity so the title never gave away what it would be so it'd be like the biggest mistake stopping YouTubers growth. It doesn't actually tell you what it's about. It's just all about creating curiosity so that when it goes on the homepage, people see it and go, I want to click on that to find out what it's about. And then once they have the intro, it's your job from that point to hook them to want to listen to the rest of the content. So that was the change that I made. And then I, I started to put way more effort into the content because before I was just like smashing these things out, uh, more effort into thumbnails, titles, planning, storytelling, creativity. And I went from doing three videos a week easily to two a month, you know, and that was taking up pretty much all my life, just getting those two out because the effort I put in and not much happened for the first few. I used to get a lot of comments like, ah, oh, YouTube's broken. It should be pushing these videos. Like it doesn't make sense. You've not got so many more subscribers. And then one popped and brought all the other ones with it. Uh, and then from then on, it was like, oh, okay, I get this now. Just focused on making people intrigued what happens next as often as you can from the title thumbnail hook and then the rest of the content and then yeah the, ch- the channel will grow and that's kind of what happened so you're, you're clearly 
quality over quantity type of guy. So I think where the focus on the quality is the most, is it on the um, thumbnail and title and that's 80% of it, or the story that you're telling behind and during, throughout the video is where the focus is mostly on? It's probably the planning, so that, that would include everything. So I'd probably say 70% of the results are in the planning. Because um, once you have the plan down, it's easy to film. You know, so planning for me would be coming up with an idea, then working out how to make it clickable. So finding a thumbnail and title that makes you want to click, which often means you can't say what it's about. So that's very tough. That can take hours or days sometimes. Uh, and then it's planning the content itself. And then how do I make this more interesting? How do I keep people watching to the end? And then once that's all written and planned, that's kind of the hard bit done. Shooting it doesn't take very long. And then the edit is kind of like putting it all together, cutting out anything that might do any damage, making it all work. Um, and that can take a lot of time too. But yeah, without that planning, you just won't get anywhere. And that's why most people fail on YouTube is because they think it's a game of making videos. It's, it's more a game of planning and then making a video based on that plan. Do you have some sort of framework or structure that you go? So you glossed over the idea generation part, but I think I hope I hope you have some sort of plan for it or you just literally sit down and think about what could be the next thing next thing or you're i don't know glossing over the uh, comments for example getting your feedback from your audience and trying to figure out what is the next thing they want to see there's loads of different ways to do it uh, and i've tried different things the easiest fastest and most no-brainer way that no one should ever really deviate from at all is just to go on youtube and be like what worked for someone else i'll just make that mm -hmm. for my own version so you can do that within your niche so i'm in like the youtube growth niche so let's say somebody in my niche makes a video called five things i wish i knew before i started a youtube channel and i look and i'm like oh that did amazing for them i should do my version of it because it's validated so if you don't want to waste time validate every idea by going okay this is what i want to talk about who else has made it is it worth talking about the 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 the, the probably the better way than that is to not have an idea to look and go, okay, what's a thumbnail and title that seems to have worked on multiple channels? So if we use five things I wish I knew before I started doing, it could be anything. That as a title works in like every educational niche. Yeah. You can see there's loads of videos of millions of views. You should just pick your thumbnail and title first. This is for educators. And then work out what video to put into it. Because if you can base everything on what gets clicks, that is the hardest part over. And then I find it a bit easier making videos inside that, but it's the psychological side of how do I work out how to get people to click that everyone struggles with. So the safest bet is just copy something else, but put your own spin on it and then work out what video to put into it. If you have an idea and you're like, I want to talk about this topic, that makes it harder. You then got to either go, right, do I mention the topic in the title or thumbnail or do I have it more cryptic? Five big, big mm -hmm. mistakes people make that stop them doing something. And then you put anything in that video, really. Um, and then there's other ways of doing it, which go a bit deep and nerdy, which I probably wouldn't recommend anyone does. Because <laughs> it could take Which days. you do, I presume. I've done it a couple of times, but it's too hard. Like, I basically just went and looked on a YouTube channel called Charisma on Command, which has been around for years. And uh, I just set by most popular. I was like, okay, what is the number one human insecurity based on the amount of views per video on this channel? And all the top five views were kind of about status and not being made a fool of. And I was like, right, if, if that is 
the most clickable insecurity in the world. How can I relate that to my niche? And I was like, well, what is a relatable problem everyone's had that makes them feel insecure and could knock their status? And I was like, oh, okay, it's presenting. Everyone's had that as a problem. They're not very good at it, getting over the fear of the camera. So I went and did some research and like the most views per video on that is like 300,000 views. I was like, well, it's not that much. It's good for the niche, but it's not that much. And I was like, I wonder if I can, what I can do to get a million on this. So I thought, well, maybe I'll find a YouTuber and tell their story about how they overcame this presenting problem, one that's really clickable. So I just did some research and found Miss, Miss, uh, Marques Brownlee's first video was awful. And then he's become this amazing YouTuber. And then also in the same niche, we had Mr. Who's the Boss, started out awful at presenting and then became this amazing charismatic presenter. So I just told their story, but I pitted them together like they were kind of rivals and told the story about how they both overcame confidence issues using body language to blow up these channels and yeah, use them in the thumbnail and it got like 1.5 million views. That's actually really cool. So you're able to use sort of borrowed audience of the creators that you're analyzing, right? Um, is that something that you, you notice that works the best? Like you, you see a lot of the charisma on command that you mentioned, they do analysis of our insecurities based mostly on celebrities and their behavior and learning from them, right? So that's also borrowed audience in a way. Rather, people are interested more in the person themselves rather than the problem, do you think? That's right. So when you start out, you have zero credibility and your face has no meaning. So in a thumbnail, you know, you're potentially damaging the amount of people that are going to click because you're, you're, you don't have a personal brand that's worth clicking on. So it's like, okay, how do I get people to click? And you do that by telling the stories of famous people who have a brand that people already trust and want to click on. So they call it social hacking. So Charisma on Command, Charlie did it amazingly well. Uh, he would put, um, you know, Keanu Reeves in there. And then what you'll find is the video is not really about Keanu Reeves at all. He'll use him in the intro and he'll tell one snippet of the story and then he'll move on, talk about all sorts of other things. But he'll use him as the hook to pull people in. Pull people in. So there's some people on YouTube who will always get you more clicks. So Jordan Pe Jordan Peterson, um, Joe Rogan, Mr. Beast, Elon Musk. These guys generally are click magnets. And if you can get them into your content and your audience relates to them, it's, it's a much quicker way to, to get views. But you still have to be careful because you need to pick someone who's got a very big following. If you pick someone who's not that big, could, you might as well just put your own face in it sometimes. So social hacking, they call it, is an amazing way of getting clicks. But for me, also, it can come with a downside because what the bad thing that happened with that video was at some point it went too wide. I wrote it specifically to try and appeal to as many people as possible. It left the YouTube growth realm. So what happened was I started getting people who weren't interested in YouTube growth and were just interested in Mr. Who's the Boss's story, which is fine. It looks good and gets views. But I, my next video goes out and, you know, a million new people aren't interested in hiring an editor. So that video just goes bonk flops because <laughs> all the new people YouTube's pushed it to aren't really that interested. So you have to be careful. You know, you can go have this really wide approach where you try and attract as many people as possible. From a business point of view, I prefer bits kind, kind of remaining in my niche rather than going too wide. It's just what the different strategy. That's a very good point. And, and I wonder how do you define your niche specifically? Uh, and, and that also ties into the second channel, I think, that you mentioned. So you had a very film-oriented, filming-oriented channel, and now you sort of 
they diverted into the creator economy and helping creators. Can you tell us about the thought process there? Yeah, so when I first started Film Booth and I was making three videos a week, it was a channel about video marketing. So the idea was we were trying to grow a business that would get uh, clients for editing and production. And we used to talk about Instagram, YouTube, writing, presenting, editing, video marketing, sales funnels. So you make a video about video marketing and then you make a video about editing. It's different people. Like editors could be a kid in his room, could be someone else, could be someone in business, you know, and then I make a video about video marketing. It's just never going to bring them back. They're not interested. So I, marketing was the thing that excited me the most about everything. I've always loved it. And I, I was like, realized like, well, I've got to make a decision here. What do I make this channel about? Do I make it about marketing? Do I make it about growing YouTube channels? Like, what is it? I thought, we'll pick the one that's probably going to be the biggest opportunity. Uh, and I, I felt like just talking about YouTube growth was that. So when I've been doing this for a while, I started to think, oh, I just want to talk about other things and I can't. So I thought, oh, I'll just start talking about marketing on this channel. And I was like, well, no, that's why I stopped doing that a while ago. I can't go back and make the mistake I made again. So I started another channel, which is basically teaching YouTube creators marketing. Now, a lot of these people comment and they're like, how is this different to your other channel? I'm like, it's different because it's just about making money, whereas the other one is just about growth. Because I know that a lot of people want growth more than they do making money, and I'm just going to end up with this mixed channel. So I kind of wanted to niche down a ton and have one channel that wasn't all about high production and massive stories and a lot simpler to build, that catered to a very specific audience that went a lot deeper on certain things, and then have another channel which was more of a show much higher production and, and focused just on growth and it, it's been amazing to see what's happened because the new channel which the goal was just try and get 10,000 views per video it didn't take long before doors opened that would have never opened before and suddenly I'm getting invited to things uh, my network grew I'm getting emails from people thanking me for covering this and the response to the small views has been very different to the big views I can tell it's a different type of person. A lot of them are much larger creators. So it is resonating with the right audience, but that audience is much smaller. So that's why I did it. And also as a YouTube growth channel, if I keep putting videos out that don't do very well, it doesn't look very good for me as an advert, does it? I mm -hmm. would love to be really specific sometimes, but I just have to hold, I just can't make a video where I'm like, I can do it every now and then, but I shouldn't make videos where I'm like, this is only going to appeal to a very small fraction of my audience because it's an advert at the end of the day. But, but it's very interesting because I think a lot of people associate growth with business and with more money, right? So what is the difference between just growing views and subscribers versus being business focused? That's, that's the problem. Everyone focuses, everyone thinks views is money and it's not. So some niches... It is in terms of ad revenue, but a lot of them, you need millions of views to make a living. So if you're in a small niche, that isn't potential. There isn't even the potential to get millions of views. And I think people think once they've got that silver play button, all their problems are solved. So you are significantly better off thinking of yourself, I'm a business person with a YouTube channel than you are someone who wants to be a YouTube creator and making money off views and because you have to get so many views and you're con if you have a flop, you know, you don't eat that week. If I have a flop, it could sell 
a load of products, I could have my best sales week ever. But the two are just not linked together because there's marketing, there's email marketing, there's Twitter, there's other things going on that build the business. So I was kind of shocked when I realized, oh, the majority of people are not coming into this thinking, how do I turn this into a business? They're going, I want to make videos. And then they're getting to a point where they're going, this is so much work. How am I going to quit my job and go full time? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working nonstop. I'm trying to have a life. I've got a full-time job and I can't escape. What is the easiest way to, to, to start making money? So the easiest way to start making money is to, you, you've got to build a following to start off with, like, you know, and that is tough. It's significantly harder to grow a YouTube channel than it is a business. So you've got to, I think my, my blanket number, which I've just pulled out of the hat, but I've seen it happen multiple times is if you start to get about 3000 views per video in kind of a, a smallish niche, um, and this is an information-based channel, not an not a not an entertainment-based channel. You're probably at the stage where you should think about building a small product to sell. That is where I would say the easiest way to make money is. Now you're not necessarily going to make millions straight away, but let's say this is how I did it, and um, other people I've worked with have done it, and it's worked out very well. We just created a small digital workshop. It was a live event we put on, which we sold tickets to presentation. Then we sold it on demand afterwards. And that can generate six figures from not that big a following, if I'm honest. So if you have something like that, it's low stakes. It takes you a couple of days to produce. You shoot it live. You sell it on demand. You need very little um, kit. You, you know, you just Zoom and a, and a course hosting platform, Thinkific. Have one that's maybe free. I'm sure you guys do too. <laughs> um, so and And... Yeah, that's all you kind of need. And then you, you promote it on your community wall. You don't even need to have uh, an email list. The community wall is quite powerful for promotion. You can make a little promo, put it out, and that would be the easiest way to start making money. But you need to work out what would people buy and how, how, would, you know, how would you then market that. But I think from 3,000 views per video, you could make 10K pretty quick. And I think if you're getting 10,000 views per video probably able to make hundred grand a year pretty easy just from short digital products you are now a bit further down the road with your funnel it's much more complex there's more products can you run us through as quickly as possible if it is possible through the funnel of sort that you've built yourself and your product range yeah sure so my funnel is a very lazy so i have a, i have a cohort which is like a high ticket thing there's only 30 spaces there's no funnel it, it gets 150, 200 people apply every time. So I, I just send an email to my email list saying spaces are open again. That's it. <laughs> um, well, that's already a funnel. I mean, if you have an email list, that's already a yeah, funnel. Yeah, but it's not like, a, you know, there's no automation. There's no nurture campaign. I just, each week mm -hmm. I send an email to my audience and I put a lot of effort into it. And it's always value, value, value. And then once every quarter, I'll just send a push for the cohort to remind people and then that will sell that out. Um, that's one of the beauty of being a YouTuber is you build up a lot of trust with your content. So the, you don't that need to necessarily have a sales team involved. Uh, there, mm -hmm. There's a lot of goodwill. People trust you. There's a lot of credibility built. So often it's a case of just saying, do you want to buy it? And they'll say yes. Uh, I have another product, which is a sort of, it's kind of like a community. It's this course with a feedback community and specifically for thumbnails and titles. And that's about $1,000. Um, and again, the actual funnel for that 
it's pretty pathetic. I don't push it particularly hard. <laughs> so I have, you know, it, basically my email and my Twitter and my community wall where I promote it. I mention it in videos, but then I just leave links at the bottom of my emails. And every now and then I might send um, an email that pushes it. But again, I don't promote anything too hard. Sales so just come in organically. It's crazy, not to say ridiculous, how effortless you, you, you make it sound. You know, I just send an email here and there. I, I have, the, I, I, it doesn't seem for the rest of us mortals like it's such an easy thing to do. But I guess it's, it's just years of hard work and years of putting videos out. Because even when you say that, yeah, every week I just send value, value, value. Um, what is that value? How do you, how do you measure how valuable it is? You know, like what is the specific problem you're trying to solve or you're trying to build your personality and tell your story about yourself, something, how does it look like? I just try and fix problems. So I, once a week I send an email and like I, I made a, I made a, I wanted to have the best email in the world for YouTubers. That was my goal. There's not many people doing it. And I was like, how do I make this the best? And I was like, you know, treat it with respect, put effort in. Also practice what you preach, use stories, examples, you know. Um, but I am lucky because my mates who do this, when I tell them that things just sort of sell, they're like, oh, God. <laughs> They've got sales teams and stuff. But at the same time, it's about being content because they're like, well, build, build a sales team, build some uh, email automation funnels. And I'm like, I know I should be doing all this, but right now I have enough and I'm not, you know, if I keep chasing more, I already have more than I ever need. If I keep chasing more, I'm just going to be miserable. Like, so yeah, there's plans to build and, and adapt, but right now I'm trying to enjoy it more than anything. Yeah. I think you, you, you made a video not that long ago. I think it was a few months ago saying, saying goodbye. Okay. It was a clickbaity title and didn't say really say goodbye, but you did want to say goodbye to the type of videos that, uh, that you were making in the type of life that you were leading that maybe didn't satisfy you that much anymore. Um, can you tell us about that change and what are you doing right now to sort of be more content? So the, what, what happened was I'd come to a point where I was like, YouTube growth was not my main passion in life. My main reason I started all of this was to help creative people build businesses. So when I was a kid, I didn't go to uni. Uh, the school called up my parents. They were like, all he wants to do is sit in the art room. He has to go to uni. He's never going to make anything in his life. You know, uh, my parents slide and went, oh, he's going to go to uni. Like they didn't care. They just want, they were like, do what you want to do. And I was like, I'd, I'd always felt like creative people they weren't given much of a chance when I was at school anyway it was like go and be a lawyer or a doctor so I was like I want to help people make so much money with being creative the doctors and lawyers look at them and go I wish I was you and it's like how do we do that we build them passive products we help them build lifestyles where they can travel the world and their friends look at them and go Jesus I can't believe the life you have and I was like well just teaching people views is only one part of that the other part is the monetization part and that was the bit that I really felt strongly about helping people with and I just wasn't doing it so I was like right I need to take some time off to reevaluate and I pretty much within a week realized I was like I need to start another channel about marketing and then I was like that is going to be if I can start making people full-time because Liv who's not, who's my ex-girlfriend we're still very good friends she went from zero just quitting her job like um to six figures very quick and I helped to do it all and it was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done and now she works a day a week travels the world 
passive income coming in from these workshops that I told you about earlier. And I was like, I want to help more people do that. That is the thing that right now is driving me more than anything. It's not views. It's not income. It's how can I help more people create lifestyles that doctors and lawyers would be jealous of. So I had that realization. And I was like, right, go back to making content. Talk about growing a following. But this other side is such an undercated missing piece of the puzzle for people. And there's loads of great people out there who teach business, like Alex Formosi. But it's not specifically targeted. And the more specific you can target and give examples and tell stories that relate to people, the easier it is for them to learn. So I was like, this is never going to be a big views channel. But I'm just going to teach educational, information-based channels how to grow businesses. And then that is starting to satisfy me. And I've just been building a, a program, a four-week thing, to teach people how to create their first product. I've literally written every bit of promotion for them. Like, this is the message you're going to put on the community wall. Just change the word. I, I think I was using an example as a gardening channel. Gardening to whatever your niche is and just paste it. And I was like, I'm trying to take all friction away. I just want you to get a product out and follow my system and you will make sales. And that will change your life if you do it. So that's my main focus at the moment. That's the most confident pitch I've ever heard, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I know it works because it's, I, I've done it twice. And it was so flipping easy. And I've done it on two businesses very, very easily. And one of the businesses I did on had no business experience at all. Like they'd never done anything online and live now, it's two and a half years later, just is doing absolutely incredible stuff. And I was like, that, that should be my life's goal is to get more people to that position. What kind of timeline would you give newcomers uh you, you said 3k views per video is somewhere where you can start monetizing seriously um how fast can you get there if you have your audience and your niche nailed so youtube's tough because the learning curve's so big so if first off you just got to get the, the basics right and that is presenting and using a camera so those are already two very big hurdles to get over most people the second they get in front of a camera it's like <laughs> they freeze, you know, they don't know how to write a script. They don't know what they're doing. So you've just got to get those basics down. Now, the first thing most people do, especially if they've got a bit of cash already, they go and buy all the top kit. The, the better the kit you buy, the more of the headache. So if you buy a good camera, you better upgrade your computer. You better buy bigger hard drives. You know, you better <laughs> know what buttons to push um, because there's going to be more of them. So once you've got over that hurdle, then it's a case of like, okay, what content do I make? and understanding how YouTube works and how and human psychology. And that's confusing as well, because there's so much nonsense about how YouTube works out there. It gets really overcomplicated. Really, you just need to make stuff people click on and watch to the end. And that means working out what those people click on. So you have to do a lot of research. And then once you've done that, it's a case of like graphic design on the thumbnails and then filming and editing. So there's like seven things that you need to get good at to a high level. And that's what makes this so tough. There's you need because YouTube's getting more and more competitive, you've got to get that to that basic level as quick as you can. Once you're there, then you're gonna have the ability to start growing a channel. But what I'm finding is it's different for everyone. So the younger generation who have been watching YouTube their whole life, they just get human psychology. They get thumbnails, they get titles, they get hooks. Like they've just grown up with it. So They've, they're such better YouTube creators than the older generation who haven't. And it's kind of like a different way for them to think. So it will also depend on your age. 
and your experience on YouTube and also how much YouTube you watch. If you don't watch any YouTube, it's going to be really tough. So I think there's no set time, but I would think in 10 year spans, that was my my goal. I was like, I'm just going to give YouTube 10 years. I'm going to give it a good crack. If I can get to half a million subscribers in 10 years, I feel like I'll have a good business there. Um, now I don't look at subscribers or even care, which is interesting. It's it's, it's not about that. So, you know, you've, you've got to give it, you've got it in your head. You've got to at least be thinking in the next three years, this is where I'd like to be. Um, otherwise, you ain't going to go anywhere. Yeah, I'm... I'm what you said about younger generations too, that live in front of the camera basically since, since they get a smartphone at the age of three, uh, that is maybe more natural for them and they watch more YouTube. And But I, I wonder, um, things that work when it comes to clicking, right? So we all seen the shocked and surprised faces on every thumbnail because that's something that works, right? But I wonder um, if that works and everybody copies it, what makes people, or, or maybe it's not about, I wonder what makes people click on this surprised face versus another surprised face. But maybe it's not about uh, which they click on, but clicking in general at all at anything rather than deciding to leave YouTube and go entertain themselves differently. Hmm. So the surprise face I tell educators usually just not to do. It's not a blanket answer. Oh, yeah? The surprise face is entertainment channels talking to kids, you know, not. If you're teaching someone how to make money online, looking like a goldfish is not building your credibility. It's, it doesn't visually, you just like an idiot. <laughs> right? So, well, but so, so this, 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 that's the question. Do you make people click even if you do like an idiot or building an authority in a serious uh, it depends face on the is niche. more important? I know loads of, I mm -hmm. mean, the, 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 the fish face, as I call it, is I don't think, once upon a time, it was this thing that everyone did. Now I think it's detrimental. Like, go and look at Iman Gadzi. He hasn't smiled since his whole entire time on YouTube. But he is absolutely cleaning up in the marketing and business niche. Like, he's, he, he, he outviews Hormozy, which is just insane. Now, Hormozy has these thumbnail faces sometimes where he's looking all surprised. But really, I would be like, you know, just do what represents you. I try not to have them at all ever. Just a subtle smile is absolutely fine. If I was trying to attack kids and it was supposed to be really zany and I would probably do it, but I'm not. So the the, the thumbnail is, is an interesting thing. It's probably the hardest thing to do on YouTube because you have a split second to interest someone and intrigue them and then make them want to read the title and then click. So I think um, there's a whole art and science and there's different strategies you can use to get people to click on you. It's not just a case of having a face. It's thinking, how do I create intrigue and it's usually nothing to do with the face it's more to do with everything else going on in that image so like contradictory statements are often really good way of getting clicks like i put if i put like don't make videos and then it was called like this the number one mistake youtubers are making or something like that um it creates this curiosity gap and people want to click but the, the thumbnail face is something i encourage people not to do <laughs> I, I, I promise you that the thumbnail to this conversation will be a fish face. Yours or mine? We're going to find one and we're going to put a <laughs> fish face on. Just I don't know if I've it. done one for a while. They'll be very old. I mean, come on. You, there's so much face, uh, so much of your face online that we can get an AI to do anything yeah, with that's it, most true. probably. <laughs> there will be one with my face like open from yeah. a while ago, I'm sure. Um, I'm trying to think. Most of them are a bit more serious or just smiling now. 
you mentioned before uh, Twitter, and as a person who spent most of his uh, career, let's say, on YouTube and is teaching YouTube, I wonder how Twitter is is, is falling in that grand plan, especially you're quite big there, you have amazing engagement. Um, where does Twitter come, come in? So Twitter was, there's no quick way to communicate with your audience on YouTube. It's spend weeks making a video. And then also the feedback loop then is really slow. So I wanted a quicker way to communicate. Um, I also wanted to get in front of a different audience because believe it or not, the people that I generally target are not beginners. Most of the people on YouTube are beginners. So I'm after bigger creators really. Um, not big, big ones, but like, you know, I'd say 10,000 plus those guys are the ones I can help the most because they've got the basics down and then I'll teach them more advanced stuff that they can handle. So they're not watching YouTube growth videos. They are, they think they know loads of stuff already. You know, it's not a big problem. Things are going all right. So they, they are hanging out on Twitter talking about YouTube. So that was, I went to Twitter because I wanted to get in front of different types of people. But I also wanted to practice writing hooks. So if I can write a thread a day, I'm going to become a much better writer in hooking people. And that's exactly what's happened is sometimes I'm lazy, but if I can come up with a good hook, then I can bring that into a video or an email or I've just got slightly better. And YouTube is just a game of continually hooking people. So I wanted a way of quickly getting feedback on my writing. Um, and I wanted a way to generate more business. I didn't expect it to be as powerful as it is. Someone signed up to my cohort and then they messaged and said, I've just watched your YouTube videos. They're really good. And I was like, how did you find me? It's like, you've just been on my Twitter. You didn't even know I had a YouTube channel. You signed up to a high ticket thing just from reading my twi Twitter threads, which blew me away. And it's very good at also building my email. So I wanted to get my email. I wanted to grow it much more. And I thought, well, Twitter's going to be a great way of doing that. Uh, and it's great for learning and networking as well. Like it definitely, definitely has been the, since I started doing it in November the, um, and I've made way less YouTube content I feel like my personal brand has grown significantly more which has been interesting um, and I feel like Twitter has maybe been the reason for that because not everyone's watching YouTube content about YouTube yeah that's fascinating and especially that you, you say like the way you say it, it sounds like it was just a playground to to go and practice, and it became actually a, a business generation channel. Um, can, can you share what kind of, pro uh, keeping in mind that you're a YouTube first, uh, what kind of percentage to, of of your business Twitter generates? Is it still minuscule, or actually it's growing over time? I don't know because I haven't set anything to track it. But what I would say was interesting the other day was I put a uh, I put a sale on for the first time ever on one of my products. Now, I posted it on the community wall. I should have done a separate link. And I posted in my email, I gave a 10% discount. In my community wall on Twitter, I didn't. And I got more business from my Twitter, my one Twitter post and one community post than I did my email. And I was like, and next time I need to set up some tracking links so I can see if it was Twitter or the community wall. But it really surprised me that people were ready to drop. It was about $1,000 off of a one single tweet. Um, which is great because I've kind of felt like, oh, you know, I've got to get out of jail free card. If anything ever goes wrong now, I can maybe put on a quick sale <laughs> and try and save my ass. <laughs> We're a long way off from that, hopefully. But yeah, it, it, it's 
I think it depends on the niche you're in as well. And again, it's like everything you've got to you've got to really. I post on it every day. I write a lot of threads. It wasn't supposed to be a thread a day, but they're pretty much a thread a day. Uh, but every Friday, I just sit there. I write my email, and then I write my five threads for the week, and then I move on. Um, and then I can repurpose those threads into emails, or repurpose emails into threads, or repurpose videos into threads. So, and ChatGPT has been amazing at. Some of them are completely ChatGPT generated. Um, I've got some hacks. I wanted to ask if you're not selling uh, ChatGPT prompts yet, because that that seems to be the thing. I should do. I've got so many. <laughs> I think I use it differently to other people, though. So I do it more like an ice sculpture. So I just throw in a general command, see what it spits out, mm -hmm. and then I tweet, and then I say, right, but based on what it spits out, I then chip away at it, and I'll be like, okay, rewrite it, but this time do this. Okay, that's good. Now add this. Um, rather than writing, trying to write one perfect prompt straight off the bat. But I use it in my marketing like all the time. Do you know what's been amazing? I've just written this entire course and I was writing notes to put below the video. And I was like, why am I doing this? Took the script, ChatGPT. I just wrote three words. Summarize, bullet point, headline, and then pressed paste, put the script in, spits out. And I was like, this is perfect. It just This morning I did the whole thing. It was going to take me like two days. I did it in a few hours. So for, I'm dyslexic as well. So for spelling and stuff, it's, it's been a, like Grammarly is dead now. I've got rid of that. Um, but also like, you know, taking a video script and then saying like, turn this into a Twitter thread. It's very, it can be very good at that. Um, and also my email as well, you know, tidying that up. And it started because I put so much of my own writing into it. It's very good at sounding like me now as well. Is there a system that you have uh, of repurposing? Is it, for example, you always start with video, which always starts with the hook uh, and, and the thumbnail, and then from that you go to email and threads, or it differs because channels are, you, you, I think you said somewhere that those channels are different beasts. Can you repurpose the same content from YouTube to Twitter to email list, or it has to be something else? No, you, you can definitely repurpose it from YouTube. I mean, you could, you could start anyway. I don't have a system. So mm -hmm. once I've finish this project and then the next I'll start building lead magnets and more systems and stuff but I'm not I've got an unlimited amount of time to fix every problem at the moment but you could turn a tweet into a video turn a tweet into an email if it does well you know if an email gets a lot of if I get an email that has a lot of replies that could become a video that could become a tweet so I don't have a system where I'm like each time I usually base it on what response did it get and then I think, okay, I'll repurpose it. And email is really easy to repurpose using AI into a Twitter thread, like really easy, especially if you've written it yourself. So yeah, I usually repurpose the stuff that works somewhere else, but I haven't got a system where every single bit of content gets repurposed. I'd love to have that. I just don't want to build a bigger team. So um, that doesn't get done unless I'm doing it. You say team and I have a, and I have a question because I, I saw you say something well, some time ago already that uh, you are not great at uh, outsourcing and uh, in team communication and all that stuff um, and you were for quite a while I believe on your own but now you are growing the team so my question is is it out of necessity that the growth wouldn't happen without it and where do you outsource what tasks do you outsource first and what do you keep for yourself I think I think I could do everything on my own if I was I'm trying some productivity hacks at the moment which I work, so I work for a channel, Rian Doris. Rian is like one of the world's leaders in flow state. So I'm, for osmosis, I'm learning a lot about getting into flow state. And I realized that I could probably do everything on my own. 
if I was like the most productive man. <laughs> right? um, and that would be my dream because I struggle with, I've always given 120% in everything I've done. And if other people don't give that, it just annoys me. If I'm honest, like I just get offended. <laughs> I don't want to work with people. So I'm a, I'm a nightmare to work from because I can go, uh, you know, I can just switch off and be like, they just don't want you working for me well, because you don't care. I'd rather find someone that cared or do it myself. The things I outsource are, so I have someone help me. I write my email and my tweets onto a Google Doc. They then put it to schedule it to Twitter. They then schedule it to a community board. So I pump out my tweets onto a community board now as well, which is really good, uh, which is like YouTube's wall, basically. And then I have, uh, on my cohort, I have two guys who kind of just help in terms of like in the Discord. So I'm very active in my own Discord chatting to people but they're there to help um and then they also message people just to sort of make sure you know try and keep them a bit more accountable and then i have another discord where there's someone in who drops in for an hour a day giving feedback on thumbnails uh, and then james works for me pretty much all the time just doing odds and ends um he's creative so he helps with a lot of creative tasks uh so i, I have like freelancers that i work with um but i don't want to add any more on Unless I can find one that an editor would be great, but I just very hard to get an editor for film booth because the content, the editing style is quite advanced. And I'm yet to find anyone who can do music and pacing and comedy and cut stuff out and storytelling. They always have a bit missing. And then that can become a problem because they're not necessarily learning though they can't seem to grasp it. So it ends up coming back to me eventually. Um, which means I don't make many videos for that channel now because I'm doing other stuff. Uh, something I read or, or heard that you, if when you delegate, you have to accept that the work that will be done will be like seventy percent as good as you would do it yourself. And and for some people, I guess it's more more difficult to accept that fact, right? <laughs> I don't know. Do you have any children? No, not yet. Well, imagine if you had a baby and you gave it to a babysitter, and they said, "I'm going to look after it seventy-five percent as well as you are." How would you feel? Isn't isn't that that's like a given, isn't it? You're always going like, you're always yeah, going I to know, be the best possible caretaker. Yeah, so it's like is that twenty that twenty five percent could be dangerous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you gonna, are you gonna feed them seventy five percent rather than one hundred percent? Yeah, it's a, like yeah, you, your first be. YouTube channel is your baby, and I could I could definitely let it go, but at the same time I'm like I don't want to. Um, and, and I did, and do you know what? I did let certain things go and I just found it maybe miserable. I was like, I, I outsourced writing for a while to create a booth and I outsourced editing and although they were okay, I wasn't, I was never that, I was never fully proud of them as if I'd done it myself. And from going from always doing something like just make something you're proud of to being like, I'm not that proud of it and I'm putting it out. It didn't satisfy me. So I know it's the wrong thing to do, but. It just wasn't very fun. Well, it's maybe wrong thing to do when we talk about optimization and productivity and growth. And but if we're talking about lifestyle business that makes you happy, then I guess there is no there is no right or wrong except for what is right or wrong for you. That's exactly what it is. This this game, if you want to be like a, if you can do very well from YouTube, but at some point you've got you realize that you can't spend the money that you make unless you just waste it or invest it, which is boring. 
right? And then you're just investing money to never spend and enjoy. So at some point you have to go, why am I doing this? And for me, that came this year where I was like, I shouldn't do anything that I don't enjoy. I should just stop. What's the point? You know, I, I don't want more. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. So, you know, being like outsourcing and then not enjoying delegating and feedback and stuff because it's the right thing for the business. It's not the right thing for my brain. So, and I am the business. So it gets, you know, if it's not making me happy, it just has to go now. It can't stick around. Totally. All right, let's um, let's wrap it up with a little quick fire round. My, my absolute favorite. I hope you don't mind. Uh, quick questions, quick answers, and uh, considering that you that you that you're trying to be more productive person now, uh, as you mentioned, uh, it's going to be somewhere something there for you as well for sure. So, ready? Yep. Team player or lone wolf? Lone wolf. <laughs> and proud, I hear. Take risks or carefully calculate. Bit of both. Mobile or desktop? Desktop. Who inspires you most? I can't think of it. Anyone off the top of my head right now? There are so many. That's the problem. Um, I think Hormozzi's done a very good job of inspiring me recently, and I think Russell Bronson and Chris Do. Nice. What is um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? This is going to sound crazy. My plan is to retire and clean people's cars. I just like cleaning cars. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to come back to that for sure. What is an underappreciated business tool that you couldn't live without? ChatGPT. What's your productivity life hack? Get to your desk the second you wake up and work for two hours and then eat breakfast. Apparently, this is what my this is what Rian has said and the experts is that... I, I have follow-ups. Don't worry. I have follow-ups. Oh, okay. <laughs> What does success mean to you? Enjoying my life. Which you seem like you're doing right now. But yeah, absolutely. That's why I love this this round, because there's always something I have to go back on. Starting, of course, with cleaning cars. What, where did that come from? My first job was manual labor, and I loved it. I loved doing, I loved coming home physically exhausted. I didn't go on my phone. I slept amazing. I just hated the people that I worked for because <laughs> they treated me so badly. That, that's the loan carrying business, right? Yeah, the loan carrying. I just worked with real assholes. Um, I was eighteen as well. They didn't want to mm-hmm. take. They didn't want to listen to an eighteen-year-old. The you, you don't get instant satisfaction from YouTube. So what happens is I'll teach someone something, and it might take them six months to go away and grasp it, and then they'll come back and go, "Oh, it worked." So it's not a fast result. Whereas when you clean a car, you get a satisfaction within an hour. And I just find it's relaxing. There's no distractions. I'm not on my phone. I'm not worrying about anything else. I'm just outside, which is nice. And I'd probably only clean like supercars because I like looking at them. But <laughs> so that's what I niche. was thinking. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. But, don't you, but, but don't you think you're going to have to work with some assholes again in, in order for that to happen? Well, that would be the beauty because I'd be in a financial position where I could just swear at them and say exactly what I thought of them. <laughs> okay. And leave and be like, I don't need your charity. I'm just doing this for fun. I, I have my own Ferrari in in my garage. Yeah. I just clean it because I like it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah. When I I'm I'm not planning on going back to the UK for a very long time, but that was always my uh, my my final hurrah. But then I was like, oh, I could start a YouTube channel on cleaning cars and an Instagram. I can probably scale this and turn it into a franchise. And I was like, oh, you're doing it, Dan. 
<laughs> well, to be honest, I think you missed a trick with the lawn care business because I don't know if you've seen, but the business, the power washing and power cleaning of of uh, lawns and and uh, pathways yeah. and stuff, it it, it it racks up huge amount of views. I think it's amazing business. I was looking at that on TikTok the other day. Someone mowing, and I thought, oh, this would have been amazing right now. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know why, but I, I do watch it for minutes on end. Just go and look, look at people mowing grass. I was like, wow, how is that? It's therapeutic, so yeah. calming, therapeutic, yeah. right? Yeah. But okay, before you wake up and uh, and clean cars, you wake up and ride for two hours in a day. How is that helpful? So I started doing it this month, based on what mm-hmm. Rian Doris. They have a their company's called Flow Research Collective. They like they have testimonials from Elon Musk on their website. So. You know, I listen okay. to them because they're probably the most credible people in the world. Uh, and his videos are all about getting into flow state. And one of the, this, it's, I'm nowhere near the level those guys are. One of the things they said was just the second you wake up, just get to your desk and work uh, because you will be basically able to get into flow state much easier, much quicker. Uh, and then there's like triggers. And then they were like, then eat. And then you'll be able to go back into flow state better. Then I go to the gym. And then you can get into flow state there. You know, you could then have a cold shower and there's these triggers that kind of get you back into being productive. But those first two hours of the day, they always were my most productive. But right now it's like, yeah, I can get so much done. So it's it's a it's a nice way to break things, break things up as well because two hours, eat, you know, have a bit of recovery, two more hours, then gym, you know, and it breaks up the day. And yeah, by the time I get back from the gym, I've probably done way more than I would have done in a day usually. Uh, my afternoon's always way less productive because at the moment I'm in Thailand. If I'm not in Thailand, I'm in Dubai. So I'm ahead of everyone. So no one's really awake to pester me. Once, <laughs> once, the, uh, once the rest of the world wakes up, I've suddenly got messages and emails coming from everywhere. So I'm nowhere near as productive. Do you use that time for creative work or for doing the stuff that you hate the most, like I don't know, replying to emails or, or whatever? Or creative. So I write every day. Mm-hmm. At the moment, I've not been because I've been building something else. But I, I, otherwise, I just write for two hours a day. Um, scripts. A lot of my scripts never get made um, because we, the thumbnail and tile I'm not that confident in. But yeah, mm-hmm. it'll be course scripts, YouTube scripts, Twitter, email. Writing is the most powerful skill, I think, that there is going. So it's priority number one for me just to keep practicing that and it's like you know a car when it's you're racing a car and you're at nine thousand revs like that's what my brain is doing during writing i don't find it easy so i'm thinking like my brain's fired up and it'll exhaust me so i can't actually do it for more than four hours a day anyway so i give it two hours a day and then uh, it enables me to sort of uh, stay on top of things that's cool that's awesome. And um, yeah, you mentioned that you're not planning to go back to UK anytime soon. So what what is the plan? Travel more? Yeah. So this summer I've been just flying around places. <laughs> so I got invited to LA. I was like, yeah. Do you plan to, to fly with all your gear? No, I have nothing. I have, um, I've, I've thrown away everything I own. I'm just trying to sell my house in the UK. I have one suitcase. Uh, I have a camera and I have one tiny light and this mic. That's it. Um, if I buy something new, I have to throw something away. So that's an interesting way to live because it makes you suddenly 
think about buying anything because you're like, oh, do I really want this? Um, yeah, and I've just I was carting my iMac around with me in a flight case. That was a nightmare. So I just bought a new laptop, um, a 16 inch one that seems fine, mm-hmm. and that's it. So I just I've done a month in Koh Samui in Thailand, which has been absolutely amazing, and then I'll go back to Dubai for a bit, and then I don't know where I head next, but. It's the beauty of what I do, and it was always my goal: um, start a business where you can just do whatever the hell you want, whenever you want. And that's currently what I'm doing, which is amazing. <laughs> Cannot say that I'm not a little bit jealous, but I'm very, very proud and very, very proud that you came uh, to share your story and your expertise with us a little bit. So thank you, Ed, so much, and uh, happy travels, I guess. No worries. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And while Ed is traveling the world, we're traveling to our next creator in the next episode of Careers 2.0. Take care.